Good evening, everyone. I'm Judy Cooper, the coordinator of public programs here at the Pratt, and we'd like to welcome you here this evening. So, Jamie Cat Callan grew up uh, under the tutelage of uh, a mysterious and elegant French grandmother. She's traveled to France many times and has interviewed hundreds of French women and some French men to learn their secret learn their secrets to love, romance, marriage, and their joie de vivre. In her new book, Bonjour Happiness, she shares those secrets with us. Jamie's writing has appeared in numerous publications. She's won many awards for her writing, and she's also the author of French Women Don't Sleep Alone. Um, she also is the creator of the Writer's Toolbox, and Scott has um, the Writer's Toolbox outside. It looks really interesting. I hope you'll talk about that a bit. And, uh, and copies of both the new book and French Women Don't Sleep Alone. Um, I noticed, uh, I found on the internet today that Bonjour Happiness has just been named by AARP as one of their top books about France for 2011. Um, we're so delighted to have Jamie um, Kat Callan here. Um, this program was originally scheduled in June because the book came out in the spring. It was originally scheduled in June, and then Jamie was involved in a serious car accident and sent me an email and said, oh, I can't come because I have all these broken limbs. So she is, we are very grateful that she has recovered from her accident and is and was willing to travel to Baltimore to be with us and to, as I say, to kick off our Writer's Life series for 2012. So, welcome. I am absolutely thrilled to be here in Be More, the charm city. I love Baltimore. I've known about Baltimore since 2002. Two, when my daughter um, came here to interview for uh, Micah and stayed, and then after graduation met a fabulous Baltimorean. Are you Baltimoreans, would you say? How, what do you say? You're... <laughs> okay, so a Baltimore Baltimore people. Anyway, he's one one of uh, one of the Be More people, and so they live here right in the neighborhood, and I'm so happy to be here um, and just visiting your fair, beautiful, charming city. And thank you, Judy. Where's Judy now? Right there, right there, for inviting me. I really, I'm really. I'm so happy to be here, and especially because I did go through a lot last spring. I was, I was in this car accident, and I just have to tell you this epiphany I had when I knew this car was about to hit me head on. I, and it was almost in slow motion, and I really did for a moment see my life flash before me, and I heard a voice, and the voice said, because I thought, this is it. This is the end. I'm, I, you know, this is the end of my life. And the voice said, wow, that was fast. Meaning from birth to that moment in time went in a flash, in a second. 
And this brings me to the whole notion of living like a French woman or a French man. It's, it's really about treasuring each and every moment of your life and finding pleasure in the most simple things in life. Now, I... Um, I, I should tell you a little bit about myself um, and how I came to write about French women and about joie de vivre. My grandmother was French. Um, she's actually French-American. She wasn't born in France. She's, um, she's uh, originally from uh, Quebec and then moved down to Connecticut. When I was growing up, I was so impressed by my French grandmother. She created a bit of a sensation every time she visited us on a Sunday afternoon because she would come out of the car. But first of all, my grandfather would open the door for her and she would come out wearing pearls, always a scarf, her hair always done, incredibly elegant, always a little hat. And what was interesting about my grandmother and grandfather was that they actually had they had a very steamy and tumultuous marriage. They didn't always get on perfectly well and communicate and, you know, have open open uh, communication like Dr. Phil advises. But rather, they would get into these very heated tiffs. And I think this is actually very French in and of itself. They, I, I just remember as a little girl when I was about... I don't know, six or seven years old, staying over for the summer at my grandparents' house in Connecticut. They had a little farm and, um, you know, it was a very, very simple life, but they would get into these little arguments about things. And I would notice that they would, there'd be a lot of stomping and slamming doors and my grandfather would just go out to the garage and start working on his car. And then my grandmother would just go into the kitchen and start rolling dough to make this apple tart that she used to make. And what was really interesting to me is that after some time, as a little girl, I noticed that they would both go into the bedroom and they would close the door. And, I, and it was just, to me, it was very, very peculiar. But what I saw was that when they came out, they were happy. This is the French secret. They were smiling. And not only that, but whenever they had one of these arguments, my grandmother was always right, always right, because my grandfather would then go out and buy my grandmother a new hat. And this was in the days when ladies wore hats. And my grandmother had a lot of hats. So she was really my very, very first inspiration. And because I am now definitely a femme de certain age, meaning I'm a middle-aged woman, I'm 57 years old, and I'm looking for how do I stay happy and vibrant and um, full of life and joy at this age, because we do live in a very youth-oriented culture. And also, I'm newly married. I'm married for a second time. I married a scientist who's at Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution, a climate change scientist. So I'm also very, very invested in the idea of how do I keep my marriage spicy? And that's how I started writing and why I started writing French Women Don't Sleep Alone, the very first book in the series. To write this book, 
I, you know, I had to interview French women. So before I even left uh, the country, I got together with my friend Jessica Lee. Jessica Lee plays a big part in the book because I traveled all over France with Jessica Lee, with you know, the cities, the major cities, you know, Paris, Lyon, Lille, Dijon, um, Toulouse. And then we also visited all the little villages. But before we even left, we had a core group of French women that we contacted saying, um, we, we want to have girl parties in your, either in your home or in a local cafe, but could you get together your girlfriends so that we can then interview you as a group and get all your secrets? And this was the first thing that I learned about French women, because they were all very confused by this idea of girl parties. They were, they, the first thing they said, well, I don't understand. What's, so no men? What's the point of that? And we said, well, no, 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 we want to get your secrets so the men can't come to the, the, the girl parties. It has to be just women so we can, and there's a, that seems very boring. We don't, what, what, but it's, no, 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 we just want women so we can um, get your secrets. And so finally we convinced them that this was what we needed to do. And I would say this, that even then, even after we arrived, I remember one of the very, very first meetings in Paris at the Café Industrial. We started off with all women, and then about 15 minutes into the interviews, into the, the, the questions, the men started arriving. They were like, oh, I just happened to be in the neighborhood, and I thought I would see what you're doing. So that was really, really important information. In terms of love, dating, romance, marriage, French women like to mix it up. The second most important thing we learned was that when we asked the question, so um, what's the difference between dating in the United States? Because some of them had actually been married to American men or they had spent some time in America, so they knew a little bit about our dating system. And so what's the difference between dating in the United States and dating in France? And they said, we don't date. They don't date, which was really, really fascinating because, you know, here in America, we're all about that Saturday night date. Oftentimes, you might sit in a restaurant across from a guy you really just met, and it almost feels like an interview. You know, where did you grow up? You know, where did you go to college? What's your favorite color? Um, whereas in France, they don't do that, but rather they're having dinner parties. Every Friday, Saturday night, they are getting together with their group of friends, their coterie, but also with new people. They, they're always bringing new people into that group and mixing it up. And this is a really powerful way for a woman to meet a, a man. It really is because she has a, a lot of myster mystery that way because, you know, on a date, it's like evident, like it's, it's me and you, and it's like, is this going to go somewhere or is this just going to be the last time we see one another? Whereas at a dinner party, you get to know men in the context of a whole group, of other women, of other men. You might be talking to this one man over here, but that man over in the corner notices you. And so it's a very powerful way for a woman to kind of showcase her charms. So this is the first thing that we learned in terms of, of their, their, their cultural 
get-togethers. The second thing, well, you know, this is this is what's I often get this question when I talk about this idea of meeting at dinner parties and not dating. And it's like, well, then, say you like somebody at the dinner party, then what? Do you know what they do after that? They still don't date, but rather they go for a walk. A walk. Don't you just love that? So, and, and a walk is a very, very powerful thing because the woman is, first of all, it could be interpreted as romantic or it could be just friendship. It's also a way for a woman to kind of, you know, be seen and to see. It's very, you know, France is a very, very theatrical culture. So, and and also, it, you know, it's an opportunity to get dressed up, to wear that beautiful scarf that you have, to really be in the world. I think walking is an incredible incredibly powerful thing because it connects you to the earth. It connects you to your community. And for those of you who visited France, and I know a lot of you have, you probably have noticed there's a lot of reflective surfaces as you're walking down the street. There are all these shop uh, windows and there are mirrors and there's all the whole, and if you go through the Tuileries, there's this whole sense that the female form is absolutely adored and worshiped. All of this conspires to make the French woman very, very confident. But I will tell you, you have that right here in Baltimore. I mean, it's, you know, my daughter says to me, you know, mom, if you move to Baltimore, I, you'd lose 20 pounds in two weeks. That's because she's walking everywhere. And it's, it's really, really lovely. So you're lucky. You're lucky that you live in such a French city. I mean, there's, this is a very, very French place. I feel it. Um, and then finally, the final, final most important thing that we learned for French women don't sleep alone was that, um, well, we asked the, the, the French women in these interviews, so, you know, American women admire you so much. And we, we want to know, though, what is the secret to your confidence you know, what, how is it that you have that, that ooh-la-la, that je ne sais quoi? And uh, they had one word, and in every single group of interviews, the French women came up with this one word. This was the consistent word through every single one of these interviews all throughout the country. Would you like to know what it is? This is it. I'm going to give you this, and then you could just go out to dinner now. You don't even have to hear the rest. The one word, lingerie, 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 and they wear it for themselves. It, it adds to their sense of well-being and confidence on an everyday level. They, um, they, uh, they, they enjoy uh, the feel against their skin. And, they, and nobody has to know about it. They're doing it for themselves. And here's the most important element to the lingerie. The bra and panties must match. And Jessica Lee and I were like, well, who's to know? Who's to know if you're wearing you know, a black bra and white panties? And they, the French woman said, you will know. You will not feel, you know, your yin and yang will be totally off center. You have to, they have to match. So I think that, that it's a simple thing, and it's something you can do right here, you know, in America. Uh, my daughter and I went to the Towson Center. Town, 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 town Center? 
Towson Town Center Mall, and we went into the Victoria's Secret. Oh, I should give this away because her husband is here. But I will tell you this. <laughs> we, she bought the, the cutest, I won't give you the detail, I won't even give you the color, but it was this really, really cute brassiere. And, and she found, and this was, these, these were on sale. You should go there. There's, they're having a great sale right now. She found three panties that match exactly. We had to search a little bit, but um, that's what French women do. For every bra, they buy three matching panties. Doesn't that make sense? Don't you think that they should um, display them here in America that, that way? It would be a lot easier. But anyway, in France they do, and they should always match. Very important. And not just in terms of it looks good, but it's about your psychology, your sense of confidence, your sense of well-being. So um, I, for the latest book, Bonjour Happiness, this was very, very interesting for me to write because I went back to France in a, in a different kind of way. I had um, a fellowship to a little village in the southwest of France. Where's Kenna? So, okay, so we were talking about the Midi-Pyrenees. And um, I, you know, I had never stayed in a place like this. This was a month in an 11th century chateau. And there was, it's also a walled city. You were telling me that you were in a walled city, a cathedral from the 9th century. And it was truly, truly the country. There were fig trees and olive trees and, and wonderful, wonderful gardens and um, uh, chickens. And right on the this property, roosters. And the roosters... I mean, I'm really kind of a city girl, so I was pretty amazed. The roosters were crowing all the time. You know, we think roosters are only supposed to crow in the morning, but these roosters would crow like three in the afternoon. They just, they didn't care because they're French. So they could just, you know, they did whatever they wanted. This was an amazing place for me because it was um, the first time that I was in a village where they really do, everything closes at noon. They really do have this sense of the secret garden. The first, my first day that I arrived, I settled into my studio and I walked up to this, I had to walk up this big hill up to town and I thought, all right, I'll, um, first I'll go to the library and introduce myself to Martine, the librarian. The library was closed from 12 to 2. Then I thought, well, I will um, go to the post office and get, you know, get some stamps for postcards. Post office closed. Uh, then I went to the boulangerie, and I thought, you know, I will buy a baguette for later. Closed. It had a little sign, we will reopen at 2. And at first I was really, you know, the, the American in me was like highly annoyed by this. Like, this is not efficient. I'm here to buy things. You should be open. And as I walked around, I started noticing how um, all the little shades were down in the little houses, but I could hear the tinkling of silverware. They were all having their midday meal. And, they, and then they take a nap, and they, but they take two full hours to have a meal with their family. And by the time I, you know, I settled down, and by the time I got to the boulangerie, there was a little line forming. And everybody, you know, it was past two by then. 
but everybody was chatting happily. There was no sense of angst. There was no, um, you know, nobody was annoyed. It was just, this is life. This is what's important. And it's not always the most efficient way to live, but it is certainly the most pleasurable way to live. So after I, um, oh, I have to tell you a little bit more about this, this village, um, because it was so, so remarkable. Um, we we uh, went to the vineyards, we picked grapes, there was a local winery. Picking grapes was an amazing experience. We There was a truck, the entire community um, gets together to help harvest the grapes. It has to be done very quickly because time is of the essence. And it's it's like a big party. The whole town is involved in this and there's a lot of laughter and at the end of it, a beautiful meal at the vineyard. So, so food is a very, very important part of the culture. Um, I also went to Weight Watcher meetings in Toulouse and Paris. Now, I know you're like, Weight Watchers in France? No. Yes, yes. They have Weight Watchers in France. And guess what? All French women are not skinny. French women come in all different shapes and sizes. And I would say, and I've been on Weight Watchers since I was 14. So the big difference between, say, American Weight Watchers and French Weight Watchers is this. It's not about, oh, they get like half the points that we get or anything like that. <laughs> the big difference is that they're having more fun than us. They, um, the, the women that I met, I became friends with these gals, like they're my, you know, my French Weight Watcher friends. They, they love food. Maybe they love food a little bit too much, but they also love themselves and respect their body. So they, um, yes, they know that uh, they need to make choices. They can have maybe, you know, the foie gras, but not the saucy salt. They can have one thing, but not the other. But so they're careful, but their food is always fresh. You know, here we're often, okay, I'm going to have a, you know, this huge, bowl of ice cream and I can have this ice cream because it's non-fat and no sugar. So it's, so I'm going to have a lot, but a French woman would make the choice. No, no, no. I'm going to have some wonderful ice cream, a little dish, and it's going to be completely natural with full cream and sugar and the whole thing. And this little little portion of something really rich and really delicious is so much more satisfying than a lot of something that's not quite real. So they, they don't go for processed foods or non-fat or, you know, sugar-free. Um, they would much rather have the real, the real thing and truly, truly enjoy it. And again, it's all about pleasure. You know, we have this expression here, which is, um, you know, the Nike expression, no pain, no gain. Do you, you remember this? No pain, no gain. The French are no pain, no pain. You know, what's, what, what could be bad about that? So they don't even have that gym culture that we have, but rather they are walking everywhere. And of course they love yoga and they love dancing. They love things and swimming is very, very popular in France as well. But they do things that are pleasurable. 
they they um they really avoid things that do not give them joy in their lives and this is this is a big secret it's a it's a really important secret you know i think sometimes um here we think that bigger and faster is better but in france the french women we spoke to it was really slower and smaller is better and it's kind of a zen exercise where you're really aware of where you are at a given moment in time and that you're truly present to the beauty of a particular moment so multitasking is out so they're not you know checking their i guess it's not checking their you know facebook account and talking on the phone and driving all at the same time but rather they're they're enjoying this specific moment in time you know um when I was a little girl, we, we used to play a trick on our neighbors. So um, this is back in the early 60s. And please don't think I'm bad for doing this. It was a long time ago, and I've mended my ways. <laughs> but we, we used to call up our neighbors. And we were, like, we were little, like eight, when we would do this. So we'd call up, say, Mrs. Smith. And, we would, and she'd answer the phone. They'd say, Mrs. Smith. Um, and we'd put on like a Sears and Roebuck type voice, you know, very official. Uh, Mrs. Smith, is your refrigerator running? And then, of course, she said, well, I'll, I'll go check and see. And then she'd, you know, come back and say, well, yes, my refrigerator is running. And then we would say, well, then you better go chase it. Now, the interesting thing about this is you can't play that joke in France because their refrigerators don't run. <coughs> their refri refrigerators are either, either marche or marche, ne marche pas. So they're walking, really, because marché really translates as walking. Their appliances walk. I mean, even their appliances walk. Even their appliances are taking their time. So this is a way to um, see that, that it's really, really about slowing down and enjoying what is in front of you. They do not save the good china for a rainy day or that beautiful necklace that your grandmother gave you and you, oh, this is too beautiful. I have to put it in a box. It's so beautiful and gorgeous and so meaningful to me. I have to put it in a box and tuck it way deep in my closet. I mean, have you ever done anything like that? Because it's so beautiful, I can't wear it out. It might break. The French never do that because there's this idea of living for the moment, living for today. So if they receive something beautiful, they enjoy it right away. They embrace it. Also, when I was growing up, I had a friend whose um, mom bought um, new furniture, brand new, very elaborate furniture. And she proceeded, and it was in their living room, we were never allowed in their living room, so I don't know why she did this, but she immediately had it covered in plastic, like fitted plastic. Probably the young people don't know what I'm talking about because I don't think this exists anymore, maybe. But, the, but it was so crazy because it was like it squeaked, you know, when you sat on it. And then, I mean, nobody went into that room. It was just like a showcase of this is beautiful furniture, but never touch it. Never sit on it. Don't even look at it. And, and um, for the French, it's, it's when you have something beautiful, it's about using it and enjoying it on a daily basis, not waiting for that perfect moment. And because of this, they can do more with less. They enjoy more with less. Um, in terms of clothes, they'll, um, they'll um, have a basic palette 
they they love to and then and mix it up with accessories. So so um, you might choose for your for you you might choose your basic palette. Often for the French, it's navy black. Uh, beige or a, a kind of a camel color and then some occasionally French women will wear red as their basic palette you have to be very bold to do that but then they will they won't have a hundred and ten dresses and you know a million skirts and sweaters they will have a few and they will make it look as if they've got a lot because they're wearing different jewelry or they're they're switching up scarves and um, they they also mix up new with old. Uh, so and also you know um, expensive things with really inexpensive things. So they may have an Hermes scarf, but then they're wearing you know uh, some baubles that they got at a, a village flea market. So you can't really, you know, you can't really tell. There's there's a great deal of mystery there whether this is, um, you know, I mean, everything looks fairly chic because the basic palette is there and they're, they're doing something interesting and unusual with it. I loved when I was in France. It's just, I was actually there for September and October this past year. And um, I went with my friend Tanya, who's in the book. I stay with French women, by the way. I, um, I think it's very important to tell you because I, you know, occasionally I will stay in a hotel if I have to. But mostly, I sleep on couches. I, I mean, I've slept on, um, you know, I've slept in very fancy homes. I've slept on, uh, you know, an artist, uh, you know, little couch um, with a, you know, a one-room studio on the left bank. But I think that um, that's been a really valuable experience because I get to see how French women live on a daily basis. I'm, I, I get to see what's in their refrigerator. I, and I'm very nosy. <laughs> so, but they know, you know, they know I'm here for research. But it's, it's an incredible thing to spend ordinary time and ordinary life with French women and to see, like, you know, what are they wearing every day and to, to look in their clothes closet. So you'll see in Bonjour Happiness, I, Tanya, a dear friend, actually, we went to, we went to this one um, uh, market, an outdoor market, and they had all this lingerie. And I was like, oh, I mean, what I loved about this was vegetables, you know, fruits and vegetables, seafood, um, you know, baguettes, lingerie. It's all mixed up. So I was there with Tanya, and I was like, oh, look at this lingerie. I think I, I, I want some of this. And she says, oh. This is, uh, this is uh, tacky, cheap. So she brought me to her home. I mean, I was staying in her home, but she opened up her lingerie drawers. I felt so honored at that moment. And she just showed me what she had. And I will tell you, it was like all arranged so beautifully and incredible quality. So this is, this is one of, one of their, their great secrets. Also, we went to a vide granier. Have any of the ladies who've traveled to France been to any vide graniers? It's, it's, it's such a great thing. It's like the village tag sale. I know you have a great farmer's market here in Baltimore, but you should do this. A vide granier is um, once or twice a year, the entire town gets together, and it's in a park, 
and you buy, you know, you rent a table or a booth and you bring in everything you want to sell, all your, you know, your old boots or that, that dress that you bought at the Gap and never, ever wore. Um, and the children also participate and often sell the toys that they don't want anymore. But it becomes this great community event and it is a lot of fun. It's a form of recycling. But it's also a way to find some lovely, really unusual things that will make your wardrobe that much more special because it's this, it adds something that's um, maybe very old or that belonged to a woman who's like completely different from you. So it's a great way of mixing things up. Um, I, uh, I want to show you my scarves. I'm going to do a little, little scarf demonstration. So I'm going to come over here. Excuse me. So, I really do think that scarves are incredibly important. So you can hear me? You can hear me okay? Wait, wait back there. So this is just, you know, a nice, um, cream colored scarf. And, but you can see this dress isn't much without the scarf. It's just a simple black dress. And um, I wear, you know, this ordinary red scarf for just to keep warm. And that's also one of the, you know, the great things about scarves is that they do keep you warm. And also, if you're a uh, femme de cernage, they, they hide the neck. If you're like Nora Ephron, who, you know, you remember, the, I feel that about my neck. It's also really, really powerful to have a neck. I mean, sorry, to have a scarf. <laughs> Completely. 
So don't, don't use your scarf. Don't, don't keep anything in a closet forever. Wear it. And um, I wanted to show you this one. This one I got in Paris um, with you. Oh, you remember? And so this is also, it's much more modern. And suddenly, again, everything looks a little bit different just because of these zebra stripes. And then finally, I want to show you this. This last one, I'm going to show you this one later. Um, but this one, uh, um, this wonderful woman from Korea gave this to me. She's a kimono player, which is an 8th century zither. Anyway, so she gave this to me, and I like to wear this just like this over one shoulder. And it's the kind of thing, say you're, going, you're working in your office or wherever and you're just wearing a simple black dress, but you're going to switch from work to evening. Having something like this with you, suddenly it makes it look very elegant and adds a lot of sophistication to it. So there are a lot of different things that you can do with scarves. I totally encourage you to collect them and use them. And you know, I'm going to tell you the secret of the scarf. The real secret is not, yes, it's a fabulous fashion accessory. And yes, the scarf will keep you warm, which is really important. But more than this, women, the men can sort of go like this now. Okay. Ladies, your scarf is a powerful, powerful it's a tool of seduction. So the next time you're with a man and you sit down, it's a chilly afternoon and you're in a restaurant and you're ordering a glass of wine, take your time taking off your scarf because it's, it's really about the prop. And taking off a scarf is so, so seductive because men Love. love anything that involves unbuckling, untying, <laughs> unraveling. So enjoy your scarves. That's that's one of the big big secrets to French French seduction. So I wanted to um, I'm going to read just a little of the book if you'd like. Would you like that? Okay. So I'm going to read this part about. It's called. Um, Learning the Art of the French Shrug. Marceline is my, um, my French tutor. She's 87 years old, and I see her every Wednesday afternoon. I sit in her home and drink tea, and I, I learn French. But more, more than learning French, I learn about Marceline. <laughs> One day, Marceline told me that if I want to learn French, the first thing I need to learn is to shrug. Then she demonstrated the French shrug to me. It's a very powerful little gesture. You purse your lips, perhaps puff them out slightly, then you raise your shoulders, turn your head. Oh, and if you really want to go all the way, you can roll your eyes and look heavenward as if to say, only God really knows. And you might add, c'est comme ça. That's the way it is. 
This has been a very powerful little lesson for me because I'm the type of gal who often apologizes for no reason at all. I will often say I'm sorry to people as a kind of prophylactic measure just to cover all my bases and in case I did something wrong in the past, the present, or even if I'm about to do something wrong in the next 15 minutes. Please don't think I'm completely weird. I know other women who have this habit of apologizing for no reason. Not too long ago, my husband pointed out my habit of saying I'm sorry all the time and suggested that I should come up with a phrase that's a little less self-deprecating and a little more empowering. And so, after much thought, I came up with my substitute phrase for I'm sorry. My substitute phrase for I'm sorry would be c'est la vie. That's life. I decided I would say this along with a French shrug. But since this habit of apologizing has been with me for a long time, I didn't ha I have to do the French shrug. C'est la vie. Okay. But since this habit of apologizing has been with me for a long time, I didn't have a lot of faith in the power of my resolution. Then one night I had an opportunity to try it out. My husband and I were watching TV together and there was a commercial break during which the volume suddenly increased. You know how they do that, to get your attention, to get you to buy some yogurt that will help your digestive tract, or to ask your doctor about a prescription for an anti-anxiety medication. My husband turned to me and said in a slightly accusing voice, aren't you going to lower the volume? I turned to him a little confused. After all, he had possession of the remote. He continued, can't you hear how loud that is? Now, my first reaction was to quickly say, I'm sorry, and then ask for the remote and lower the volume. But instead, I just shrugged. The truth is, I hadn't really noticed a difference in the volume. And so I added, c'est la vie. Well, this really took him back. You know what, what he did? He lowered the volume, and he didn't say another word, and somehow I felt much stronger. Now, I'm not suggesting that we stop apologizing when there's really something to apologize for, but I am suggesting that it might be a good idea to simply <coughs> let a few things go. After all, you are not responsible for the health and well-being of the entire world. Learn to say, say la vie. Learn the power of the shrug. So what I would really like to do now is have you all stand up. And on the count of three, we're going to do the French shrug together. So are you ready? One. And, you, and I, I think you could really, really have fun with this. Just imagine something has happened and you really want to, your first impulse is to say, I'm sorry. But I want you to say la vie. Okay, one, two, three. Say la vie. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I, I'd love to um, answer questions, and then I'm going to give away. Oh, by the way, um, <coughs> if anybody just arrived, did, I'm doing a raffle. <coughs> so, um, would you? Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Um, I'm going to So, 
She's going to do that. My daughter's going to hand it around. So she's, I've given her so many assignments that I think she's overwhelmed. Or do you want to do it? Would you mind doing it? You sure? Okay. All right. So does anybody have any questions? Thank you. Uh, merci. <laughs> um, I, I just uh, love French culture and European culture. I think they can, we can learn a lot from them, how to live a little slower and less stress. And, and I read, a, 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 I don't know, about a year ago, half a year ago, about, it's not just France, but Italy also, I'm Italian, how they don't rush their food. You know, they take their time and savor, and they rather eat slow and rather not so much fast food, although it's probably changing a little bit, and then eat a meal where they can taste everything. That way they don't overdo it. The Americans, they, they're talking and they're doing something else, and then they have to eat twice because they forgot they didn't even taste anything the first time. Yeah. And that's why you gain weight. And these, you know, these dinner parties that we're talking about, these dinner parties would last four or five hours. They were just phenomenal. And, and I also think that that's part of their secret to um, staying slim is that it, it's, um, if it takes also love uh, European culture and French culture in particular. Um, I think I just fell in love with it in high school when I took French and you know we learned a lot about the culture but one thing that I've heard is that it's hard um, as an American when you travel to really ingratiate and get into the French culture and meet French people. I have a couple of French girlfriends that I met in other places and that I still keep in touch with but how do you kind of break into that because they're very closely knit and I hear that they have friends that they've known kind of all their lives and stick, is, stick together. Is, so. Yeah, this is very, very true and I um, I think Hannah and I talked about this, the idea of like you know, how do you how do you really get to know them because they're a very private culture and um, they don't just open their doors all that easily. And even after they've opened their doors, they will never be the type who gives you a tour of the house. I mean, that comes much later. It's always like, this is the, the drawing room. This is the, you know, the, the, uh, the room where I receive guests. But um, everything else is fairly off limits. I would say that the next time you go there, uh, See if you can take a class or um, some, not, not necessarily an Orleans Francais class in learning French, but something that where you will find like-minded French women. So a yoga class or a dance class or um, a, you know, a, a class in appreciating um, uh, you know, Italian cinema. But it's go for what really interests you. Because I've had, <coughs> and also, I've had a lot of friends who've met French women in other countries. So look around in your own hometown for French women who live here because they will then 
introduce you to friends overseas. And it's true, you do kind of need an introduction, but it's not as difficult as you might think. So one, I would look in your own hometown for connections to women living in France, or they may have a sister living there. And then when you do get there, um, look for activities that really interest you where you're going to run into other French women. And be patient, be patient. Because they are, they, they, um, they take their time. I think it's because the countries had so many invasions over the centuries that they're a little cautious, but it's well worth it when you get to know them. It's really well worth it. Because I found that, um, uh, that after a while, they're incredibly warm and incredibly generous. But yeah, it's, you have to take your time. Thank you. Somebody else? Yes? Um, I guess, you know, maybe we, do we need the mic or? Uh, I was going to say um, two things uh, real fast. And, um, the thing about the French men and the mistresses, it's a big deal, right? And I, I'm not against it, though. And um, it probably could work better than probably we're doing here. And also, um, now this is not an insult, I'm just saying. You know, but American guy, I mean, a lot of Americans, especially comedians, they always talk about... Uh, Deodorants, French people with deodorant that don't use deodorant. Now, is that is that something that's that's not true, right? Because I don't. I think deodorant's over overdone anyway. It's not true. I mean, it's just that's something I don't know where that's from. Maybe I don't know where that comes from, but that's not but true. You, and then in either. terms of the mistresses, Thanks. Um, I didn't mean that. this may have been true in say. Um, our grandmother's generation during a time when it wasn't so easy to get a divorce in France. So there would be, you know, the, the wife and there was sort of an arrangement that they, they were there together for the children and to keep the house. And the husband might have a mistress and the wife might have a lover. This is, but this is several generations ago. And if you speak to French women today, and this is actually in French women, don't sleep alone, because that was also my big question. I think American readers wanted to know, like, well, what about all these mistresses and the nage everybody is having, you know, every other day in France? <laughs> and it's just not true. And the, the French women, uh, one of them, um, uh, Isor said, you know, I have a quote from her, if my husband, uh, you know, has a mistress, I tell him in no uncertain terms, it's over. So they're not, no, they're not all having mistresses and, and love affairs and menage a trois, and, and they do use deodorants. <laughs> do you think that goes back to the, I don't know, the French Revolution, you know, when no one was clean? <laughs> you know, we were using deodorants back then. more luxurious and you're right it takes better care of the skin and um, most homes unless it's like outfitted with a, a special American plumbing do not have the overhead shower but rather have the handheld shower but um, baths are much much more the thing and they spend a lot of time in their bathroom 
Um, oftentimes, the bathroom is one of the biggest rooms in the home. I think we have one more question over here. Oh, okay. Yes. <clears throat> I don't know if it's interesting, but I can't hear the pronounced words. And many, many, many of the words that I say wrong are French in origin. I have a little bit of French blood, but doesn't help me with the pronunciation. Or all these different words. Ah, that must be French based. I have a solution for you. Okay? I have the answer. It's about attitude. It's, it's, so when you're trying to speak French, I want you to just feel French. Put your head up high, and then maybe, you know, just to so start speaking English with a French accent. <laughs> okay? And also just think French, and, and it, your accent will come to you. Okay. So it's pretty powerful. I'm sorry. Oh, there you go. See? That works. So, one more question? Yes? Um, I've never perceived French women to be particularly happy. I don't know if, um, so I, I guess I, I kind of, when I saw the title of your book, I thought, yeah, I really do want to go hear her talk because she's seeing French women in a different way than I'm seeing French women. Um, uh, one time I ha had a conversation and they were saying that the, the TV show uh, Friends, you know, which was syndicated in, in, in France as well, that the, the Americans really love the Jennifer Aniston character who's a little bit like, a ah, little flighty and everything's good, you know, and they don't really, they're not really so sure about the Courtney Cox character that's a little more determined and maybe a little more um, brusque or strong-willed, where the French really despise the Jennifer Aniston character. She's really not the model for a woman, and the Courtney Cox is, is a reasonable woman and is okay. So I just kind of, uh, I guess, just wanted to kind of hear from you, you know, when you're thinking about happiness or you're saying happiness, tell me what, uh, what kind of happiness you mean that the French women exhibit. Happiness is not like giving it, it all away. It's not about laughing really loudly and, and talking a lot and giving away all your secrets, but rather it's about a kind of containment. And the scarf again is part why I'm not wearing my scarf. The scarf is part of that, that sort of containment. It, it really seems absolutely, it makes sense to me that they like the Courtney Cox character better. I haven't heard that, but I can see that because they often find we smile too much. They don't get that. But this, just because we don't see this outward demonstration of happiness, of you know, laughing and giggling and smiling, doesn't mean that there's not a lot of joy there. But it's, their joy is, I think, a deeper joy and it's more contained. And um, and you, um, when I, um, I mean, it's a, oh, you know what? Here's here's what it is. Here we have the pursuit of happiness, and if the idea is happiness is out there, and it's this thing. This is such an American idea that if we put on our cross trainers and we run fast enough and we beat out the competition, <coughs> we can grab happiness and get it. It's ours. In France, they don't have the concept of the pursuit of happiness. They have a recherche de bonheur, which literally means to look for a good time. 
or to, you know, happy, to be happy, go now, is a good hour, literally translated, which basically means happiness not, is not a thing. Happiness is an experience. Happiness is a dinner party. Happiness is um, having a picnic with your lover. Happiness is walking through the park. So it's rather this, this experience that it, it's, it's not, it's more constant, it's not quite as, I'm unhappy, I'm happy. So I think that that's the major difference. And that I think that because they are a little bit more contained and a little bit more mysterious, they're able to kind of hold on to happiness more than us. And, and I think that's also the basis of their confidence because they're not always giving everything away. So their, their emotions are a little bit more um, heal, does that make sense? But I, I, I love that question because it does seem on the surface that we're happier, but I'm not sure we really are. <laughs> so thank you. Yes? I think I would add to that we're a culture that feels the need to show how happy we are. We want everybody to think we're happy. We have all those things, and these things make us happy. Whereas what I've noticed with friends and that is you don't have to prove it to anybody. You're happy, you're happy, fine. You don't feel this need to be bubbly and to smile all the time. So you may be happy without anybody seeing it, whereas here we almost fake it too much. So I, that's what I guess. <laughs> People get nervous here if they perceive you're not happy. It's like, uh-oh, trouble. But um, it's, yeah, it's, it, they don't worry about it so much. Thank you. Yes? My cousins, my family and friends, I think it's more internal. It's the, what she said, it's not visual, but it's internal. And that you are, your happiness, and when you're talking about, you're talking about going to share it. Because it's something that you experience and you share. So it's with you and you share it with somebody. And, and it sort of, you're always happy, but then it sort of like elevates the happiness more so than just, like you said, we're ch chasing everything yeah. instead of having it with you. It's with you all the time yes. for things. So it's more part of who they are. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. You have a question? Again, uh, in some of the um, 007 movies, he spoke uh, French. I think he spoke French. He had some fun, fun. Yeah, James Fawn. He had fun, ladies. Huh? What? Huh? He was a cool guy. Right, right. Do you want me to take the card? Yeah. And you know, just speaking French. You know, a couple of the gals here who really speak fluent French notice my accent is not <coughs> great. But I have found that just by trying, mm -hmm. they are so appreciative. And they're, and they're very happy to correct me. You know, they're just like, they're just really, really sweet. But I think that that's also the secret is just to jump in and do it and to take chances and to take risks. And to, you know, this is it. This is your life. And to enjoy every moment. And I just um, want to say one thing is being, you know, fond of certain age, uh, that it's, it's great to learn a new language, to learn something new. That's really the secret to staying, um, maybe not young, but engaged and vibrant and to bring joy into your life.
so I just I missed some of the Q and A, but I want I think it's really a question of um, uh, with the French, it's a quantity, it's quality rather than quantity, and I know um, you know just one of my favorite things to do in Paris is window shop, and and you notice how different um, the merchandising displays are. Here in the United States, we have to put everything out for everybody to see. And in France, things are much more tastefully displayed with just a few, a few pieces. I mean, it's just, uh, it's, oh, it makes me want to go back. <laughs> I, I hope so. <laughs> The winner is Andrea. Andrea Schreiner? Yes. Oh. Here you go. Congratulations. And then the second prize I want to give out, this prize is really, really valuable. This is probably worth, I don't know, at least $100. This entitles you to a 45-minute complimentary telephone joie de vie consultation avec moi. So, um, so uh, you'll call, you'll email me first, we'll, we'll have an, uh, we'll make a date, and I will make your life happy. <coughs> I guarantee. So uh, the winner is for the joie de vie consultation is Jennifer Blair. Yay, Jennifer. <laughs> Uh-huh. 
Thank uh-huh. you.